Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. All right, glad to be with you all today. Some of the old school churches, they'll start off, I was glad when they said unto me. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, look, uh, we're going to come out of the book of Judges today. Uh, get your Bible, your Bible app ready. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Uh, Pastor Matt has afforded me to simply share with you what the Lord's put on my heart. And my prayer is simply this. Uh, as we go through the text, um, hopefully we'll all leave here changed for the better um, and more equipped to go out there and do what God's called us to. Uh, let's, let's read the scripture. And, Again, Judges chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. We're ultimately going to cover uh, both chapters 6 and 7. A lot of heavy lifting, and uh, we're on the clock. Let's get it. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give you the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. In the valley, excuse me. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity uh, to just be in your presence, to be in your house, to hear a word from you. So let us do that, Lord. Remove all distractions from us right now. We simply ask that you empty our hearts and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to receive your word, and in receiving your word, Lord, we can more effectively live your word and living it. It will draw more onto you. So this is our ask. This is our prayer. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as the scripture we just read, uh, I'd imagine a lot of us probably found ourselves or even find ourselves in these similar situations, right? We, we, we're standing at the precipice of this seemingly insurmountable obstacle, and we, we find ourselves there because we followed the Lord. And we're standing there probably a little confused, right? And so the verse we just read, it tells us Gideon, he, he, he has his army now, 300 men. And, you know, if he was fighting us, maybe it would seem like, yeah, that's a good enough amount of people. But here's the deal. If you look at, you know, we have this image here, you know, here's Gideon and his men. You know, that's a rough, rough picture here. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and by itself, you're like, hey, that's a pretty large, you know, a nice-sized group of guys to go to battle with. But the problem is, as, as the scripture tells us, the camp of Midian was below him in the valley, and this is what they wind up seeing. Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. So, yes, this is Gideon. He finds himself in this really precarious situation here, right? Like 300 guys, and he looks upon a valley, as the Bible ultimately will tell us in chapter 8, of 135,000. That's like, what was that, what was that 450 to 1, something like that? Something crazy, like... This is where he finds himself because he's listening to the Lord. So we're going to rewind, figure out how he got here, and then ultimately see how it ends. My prayer, though, of course, is that in going through this particular text, we're going to ultimately learn what Gideon found out, which is God got it, even if we don't get it. And so the question begs, how do we, how do we get here? Well, the book of Judges, the entire book of Judges, has this, this, this pattern that, that's, that's prevalent. It's persistent, right? It, it, it's constant. To be quite frank, we probably experience it today. It's the same thing that we're going through time and time again through the book of Judges, right? The people of God, they abandoned him. And then after they abandoned him, of course, they face God's judgment. 
And then what, what do people do when they face the consequences of their bad actions, right? Oh, Lord, if you please just get us out of this, I promise I'll do better. I'll never do that again. Anybody ever done it before? Yeah, all right, don't raise your hand. I don't want you telling yourself. But like, and so this is the pattern of the Israelites. And of course, God, because God is who he is, he delivers them. And so as people abandon God, they, they, they suffer the consequences of that abandonment. They cry out to God and he delivers them. And it happens time and time and time again. And so as we finally get to chapter six of the book of Judges, it opens up. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is verse one of chapter six. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, the way, how does it wind up looking? So as you read through the text, the next few verses, just to kind of, you know, give you the cliff notes, the people of Israel, they farm, right, and it's harvest time. Well, every time it was harvest time, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they come swooping in. They say, and they come in and, and groups so large, it, it seemed like locusts, right? Like they, they came in that swole, and they come in, completely devour the land. They whip up all the Israelites. The people in Israel, they were hiding in caves and things of that nature. And so here it is. Like they, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and for that, he gives them into the hands of the Midianites. As we get down to verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Remember that pattern we talked about, right? People abandoned God. They did what was evil on the side of the Lord. And, of course, they faced the judgment of the Lord. And now here they are in verse 6. Lord, please help us. And so, of course, I love God. You know, in the, in the, the constant pattern we would see, he would send a judge, a deliverer. In verse 8, he sends his prophet, though. He sends a prophet before he sends a deliverer. And I love this, though, because every now and then, we have to be reminded. Like, when we get bailed out of situations, I think sometimes we get so used to just being bailed out, we forget how we find ourselves in that situation. We just kind of take it for granted that, well, he, he's going to get me out of this one more time because he's gotten, you know, gotten me out of this stuff before. You know, I'm one of his children, right? Like, guys, you know, he'll never leave you, know, forsake me, right? That's what it says. And we take it for granted, and the people of Israel clearly have taken it for granted. So the Lord sends a prophet, and, and this is all we hear from this prophet, right? The Lord sent a prophet, verse 8, to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. He's like, let me remind you all of what I've already done for you. So he uses this prophet to deliver the message to the people of Israel. Like, yeah, yeah, y'all are crying and whining right now. Like, where are you at, God? Get us out of this, God. But I need to remind y'all of something. I, this is what I did for you. Like, before this situation, y'all were enslaved for 400 some on years. I'm the one that delivered you all out of that thing. And all I ask you to do was to what? In verse 10, he says, And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. He's like, I didn't ask you for a whole lot. Like, when I delivered you, when I delivered you out of bondage, and I, you know, and I know he's speaking to the Israelites in this, mess, in this particular narrative, but he's speaking to us as Christians right now. When he delivered us out of bondage, and we were all slaves, you know, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about it, right? We were all slaves. We were all dead walking in our sins and trespasses because we were in bondage to the world, to, to Satan himself and to our flesh. But God, that verse 4, I love that, that but God moment. He, he raised us up, right? Seated us at, at the right hand of the throne with, with Jesus and Christ Jesus. He said, I delivered you from this, and this, this is all I ask. But you didn't even do that. So here they are. 
disobeying, facing consequences, crying out. He will deliver them, but he needed to, he needed to, <laughs> to remind them of how they got in this situation. And I'll be honest, you know, if it's me, if I'm God, I'm like, man, look, I don't, we're just talking about the book of Judges, and it's chapter 6, but, man, you had all them other books to, to look at all their constant and repetitive uh, acts of disobedience. If I'm God, I'm, I, man, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to find somebody else. I'll be honest with you. If I was God, I would have been done with myself a long time ago, right? Like, you know, we could, if we're being honest with ourselves, we could probably look at ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, he probably should have been done with me too. But here's the thing about the God we serve. When it doesn't even make sense to give us another chance, he still stands at the door knocking. In Revelation chapter 3, in the, um, in the letter to the, to, to the church of Laodicea, you know, there's this whole thing Jesus is writing uh, basically through, through John to the, uh, to the people in Laodicea. And he's like, yeah, man, like, you all, y'all have gone away from me. Like, you're, not hot, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. I, want, I vomit you out. And, and as much as, as bad as they are, and he explains why. Time won't permit for us to really go into detail on that. But I love how at the very end, though, after he's rebuked them, right, after he's scolded them, and he's told them, like, yeah, this is your situation. And this is what, and because of that, I, I vomit you out. But then he finishes and he says, look, I, those who, whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And then he goes on in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in with him and eat with him and he with me. I love the fact that it wasn't just in the, the, the postcard of the letter to the lady to see it. He did it time and time again in those seven letters. Like, yeah, you messed up, but I'm still here if you want me. And God to the people of Israel, even when he probably should have given up on them a long time ago, even when he should have given up on us time and time again, he still stands at the door and he knocks. And I get it. It don't make any sense to us. It makes no sense why he keeps giving us chance after chance when, to be quite frank, we would have definitely quit on ourselves. But God's got us even when we don't get it. So as you pick back up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it tells us, Now the angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I'm going to pause here because I'm not sure if everybody picks up on the irony of this particular couple of verses. Like the angel of the Lord, and, you know, parenthetically, I'll say simply this. Oftentimes when you see that particular phrasing, particularly if your Bible uh, starts off angel with a capital A, usually they refer to this as a theophany or more specifically a Christophany, right? This is, this is like the, 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 the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, right? And so here he is speaking to, 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 to uh, Gideon, and he calls him mighty man of valor. Other translations say, you mighty warrior. But Gideon is in a wine press, beating out wheat, threshing out the wheat. I, so typically, if you, if you want to, the utility of, of the, the, the wheat stalks, you would go up on the top of a hill somewhere with a flat surface. And there you'd beat the, you know, beat the wheat stalk, right? And what would happen is the, the grain itself is more dense. So it would fall to the ground, whereas the, the, the rest of the wheat, the stuff that's non-edible, it would just kind of float in the air. And at the top of those hills, the wind would just blow it away. 
So when it was all said and done as you're threshing out the wheat, well, look, when you're done, you got all this wheat grain at the bottom. But you did it at the top of a hill where there was wind. He's down in a wine press where there's no wind doing the same thing. Talk about a, an effort in futility here, right? But why is he doing it? Because he's afraid. Like the scripture before this tells us how all the people in Israel were hiding out and ducking in caves and things of that nature because they were afraid of the Midianites. Yet here and still, the Lord calls a mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. And I can only imagine Kidian in this moment. I mean, he's got to be thinking like either A, this angel of the Lord is like throwing shade. Like, like why, why is he clowning me? Like, you know, I know he know I'm not a warrior, man. I'm stuck up in this doggone cave, beating out weed, wasting my doggone time. And he's still calling me a mighty warrior. Or he just doesn't understand are you talking to me? Like, Because I'm the only one in here. Who are you talking to? And I, and I believe Gideon was suffering then from what a lot of us still suffer from now, which is God calls us by a name that we don't even recognize because we're more focused on our, uh, on our place right now versus his proclamations over our lives. And so, all, you know, and so here he is. And our second point is he'll call us by that name that we don't recognize. Because God is the one who sees the finished product. He sees the end from the, he sees the beginning from the end, right? So I get it. It doesn't make any sense. You know, some of us are in a position where, man, look, I dropped out of school. You know, I don't have a degree. And, you know, my finances are all a mess. And all we can see is where we are in this particular moment. Yet and still, God is calling us something that we don't even recognize. He's still calling us, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneur. He's calling us business owner. He's calling us future CEO. He's calling us mother and father. Like, he's calling us things we can't even see in ourselves because all we see is our current situation. I thank God that we serve one who, because he created us and he sees our finished product, he will call us even if we don't recognize it, but he's calling us to the thing he's already completed in us. So even if we don't get it, all we need to know is God's got us. As you pick back up verse 13, it tells us, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We'll pause here once again, because here's the deal. There's a couple things in this particular thing. I love the fact that uh, the Lord said, you know, Gideon starts off. Lord, if you're really with me, then why has this happened to us? And I love, because we do this sometimes. We, like, we will actually be disobedient to the Lord, right? We will find out, because, you know, we were Netflixing and chilling the other night, and then now all of a sudden, you know, nine months later, something happens. Oh, God, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't know how, how, when we start complaining to God, like, you know, or we didn't study. We didn't study for the test, the exam, and all of a sudden now here we are, our license is suspended. And we're like, Lord, where were you? I prayed right before I took the test. And we wonder to ourselves, where were you, God? Where's the same God that my parents talked about, my great-grandparents talked about? Did you forget how you got here? That's the thing. If, if we have to be, learn to be honest with ourselves. We're like getting in this particular place. He's like, yeah, well, where's the God that I've heard about? He's like, yeah, but... 
did you forget that y'all were the ones disobedient to me? You all were the ones doing things that were evil in my, in my eyes. You all were doing what was pleasing to you, even though it disobeyed me. This is why you're here. So it's not like I've abandoned you. It's that you brought this on yourself. But I love this, though. But he didn't leave it there. Like, because God could have very easily and justifiably been like, yo, it's all on you, bro. Figure it out. Right? I thank God that he hasn't done that with us. Because even when we find ourselves facing the consequences of our disobedience, of our bad actions, I love as we're sitting there questioning, God, why? Lord, you know this is all I've been praying for. I've been trying to live my life right, Lord, but this is all I've been praying for. And where are you? God, I know I messed up. I promise I won't do it again, but, man, if you could just help me out, because they did the same thing, and they didn't face the consequences. Where you at? And I love his response. Because when Gideon is looking around for other people to solve his problems, I love that the Lord says, well, am not I speaking to you? See, I'm saying this. Whether we got ourselves in a situation or not, or simply the Lord has allowed something to happen to us in our lives, when there's that burden placed on our heart over a particular situation, right, whether it's personal or maybe it's something in our workplace or maybe it's something in society as a whole, and we're like, God, where are you? Like, my boss is, you know, sexually harassing all these people in my workplace, and I have to see this time and time again. Where are you, Lord, to do something about this guy? Lord, I don't like the, the injustice that I see in the world. Lord, like, what are we going to do about these laws that need to be fixed here? And at some point when the Lord puts something on your heart so heavy that it feels burdensome, it's his way of saying, am not I speaking to you? This is him and Gideon in this particular moment. So he then continues, to tell, and he tells Gideon, go in his mind of yours. And, 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 and at the very end, he says, but I will be with you. I think Gideon forgot that because he was so focused on the name that God called him that he forgot that the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord opened up with what? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Even before he called him by the name that Gideon didn't even recognize, he had already stated the Lord is with you. And then he concludes, but I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites as one man. I think our third point is real simple. When we're looking around for our answers to our problem, it's God who will call us to be a part of the solution. And so he says to us, I will be with you. He calls on us to actually play a role in being a part of the solution. Lord, where have you been? He's like, yeah, I got you. Now it's time for you to do your part. I, I know you didn't study, and so you lost your license, and you're wondering where I'm at. Here's the deal. You got a chance to go study again. Take the next, next test. Lord, where are you? My kids are acting a doggone fool out here. I got you, but you kind of gave them that little iPad and let them do their own thing all, you know, for the last eight years. So now you're going to have to work overtime being the parent you should have been from the very beginning. Like these are the things that he calls us to do. He says, you be a part of the solution. I'm calling on you right now. That's the God we serve. Things he, he calls us to do don't make sense to us, but even if we don't get it, all we need to know is that he, God's got it. Now, as you read on, you're going to see Gideon, all right, he's finally, all right, the Lord has called me to this thing. And there's a, there's a series of things that Gideon does, right? He, he, you know, he's like, all right, let me, uh, uh, let me make an offering to the Lord just, to, you know, I want to, I want to verify he's actually on my side. And so he does an offering to the Lord. He gets consumed. Gideon thought he was going to die because in that moment when it was consumed, he thought, oh, my goodness, I just saw the Lord. And, of course, uh, the Lord was revealed as the Jehovah Shalom. Um, you know, Lord is, uh, is peace. 
Because in that moment when Gideon thought he was going to die, God was like, no, don't worry, that wasn't me. You're good. You can still live. You're going to be all right. But then even after that, though, I love the next thing God calls on Gideon to do. He's like, Gideon, now that you know that I've called you to this thing, you're going to be my man. You're going to be the public place, uh, public face of this particular movement uh, uh, to bring my people back to me. I got a problem. See, your father, man, he, he, he got this, these idols, these, these, these uh, the Astro poles and these ball altars, these bow altars that need to be torn down. I need to go do it. Because I'm just saying this. There are going to be some things that, you know, that, 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 that we did, this sin life that we still were holding on to that got us to the situation that we're in. God's like, if, if I'm going to use you to be the public face of change, I need you to get your private affairs in order. And so he tells Gideon, go to your father's house, tear that thing down. Now he does, and I love, that. I love, the, I love the, the, the symmetry in this thing. Gideon takes this, this uh, bull that they're going to ultimately sacrifice. The bull was seven years old. How long have they been uh, oppressed by the Midianites? Anybody remember? Seven years. So God is like, yeah, that thing that's, that, that's weighed you down, the thing that's been with you during the entire time of your oppression, here's the deal. Go ahead and kill that thing so that we, I can do a work through you. And so some of us need to look at some of the things that we're doing in our own lives. What's that stronghold that we still have? Man, you've been gossiping for a really long time, but now your mouth's got you in trouble. So here's the deal. I need you to kill that thing that got you in this situation. You know, your internet habit, you, yeah, it's kind of gotten you in this situation here. So if you, I'm going to use you. I want to do a work through you, but I need you to kill that thing. Then, of course, you have a couple series of Gideon still asking God, show me some signs, show me some signs. And this is the part of the scripture where just in general, you, as you read scripture as a whole, you need to be careful about recognizing the difference between uh, uh, things that are descriptive versus prescriptive here. All right. Gideon kind of demanding and asking God for signs to prove that he indeed is with them. That's descriptive. The Bible tells us in Matthew uh, 16 and 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So Gideon asked for it. God acquiesced, not because that's the thing we ought to do. When he calls us to do something, we're called to move. We're not called, all right, well, Lord, if you're truly with me, then make sure I get that phone call at 1.33 p.m. Hold on, who are we to be demanding things from God? All right, so anyway, it don't make sense, but finally Gideon's on board, right? And so here he is. He's ready to go ahead and assemble his army. And as the story tells, he, he, he amasses his army initially of 32,000 people. I love it, 32,000, right? He's thinking, all right, let's do this thing. God has already proven himself to me a couple times. You know, he's answered my, my request for him to prove that he's with me. With the, you know, with the, uh, and, and here's the deal. God looks at the 32,000, knowing that he's got to go up against 135,000, and says, yeah, um, hold on, Gideon. That's too many people. That's too many people. Because when y'all go ahead and get this victory, y'all going to be pounding your own chest. Talking about, yeah, look what we did. It was only 32,000 of us, and we still whipped them. Look at us, because that's who we are in our flesh. We some, we some chest thumpers. We some back patters. We some horn tutors. That's who we are. And God's like, yeah, I, said, I can't have that. I can't have y'all thinking that you did this on your own. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to talk to your man and let him know it. if anybody's afraid. You know, you, you can go. No problem. 
And this wasn't a new concept. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 8 talks about the fact that when you go to battle against a larger army, you know, all the, the, the leaders of Israel should go to their, to their soldiers and let them know, man, if you, got, if you have a new house, you got a new wife, you got new this, and you ain't tried any of them out, go home. If you're scared, go home. I know, that's how, but that's how it was. That's how it was back in the day. So this was a, wasn't a new concept, but God is doing something here, right? And getting, I can imagine, like, hold on, man, I thought you just proved that you're with me, and I got 32,000 against 135,000. Now you're telling me to ask him to want to lose. I can imagine Gideon going to his people. Hey, if anybody's afraid, please don't be afraid. Please don't be afraid. If anybody's afraid, y'all can go home. Please don't be afraid. And then, like the Bible tells us, 22,000, get up out of there. 22,000. Oh, Lord, help me. So here he is now with 10,000. All right, but the Lord's still with me. He did the fleece thing, and he called me a mighty warrior, so he's still with me. All right, we gonna, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. All right, let's get ready to go. Oh, 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 hold, hold on, Gideon. Hold on. Hold on. That's, yeah, that's, 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 still, that's still too many. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, take them down to the river and let them all drink. Then I'll let you know based on you know, certain criteria, which ones to keep, which one to get. So, of course, they go down there, and you got a whole bunch of them that get down to the river. They get on the ground. They drinking the water. Then you had, a, you know, a number of them that stood up. You know, they kind of knelt down, drinking the water in their hand, keeping their eyes up the whole nine. And the Lord's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to separate them. The ones who got all the way to the ground, put them on this side. The other ones who kind of knelt, put them on this side. That was like 300 over here. It was like 9,700 over here. And I can imagine Gideon thinking to myself, oh, please let it be the ones that got on the crowd. And God's like, yeah, let them go home. He's like, why? And, and so here's the deal. I love this whole story of Gideon because Gideon, once he finally bought into the calling, he had his idea, his plan on how to achieve the, out, the desired outcome. And I can imagine, like, we've all gotten that calling, right? The Lord's put someone on our heart and told us, this is what you're called to do. You're going to be that nurse at this institution. You're going to change things from within. You're going to go into government, and you're going to change. Like, we have an idea as to how we're going to do things. And then all of a sudden, it feels like God begins removing resources from us. Like, hold on, hold on. I, you know, I, I left that job and took this one because this person was here. And now you've removed this person. I thought I had an ally over here. I don't have them anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we began to look and wonder, all right, hold on. I, I thought you called me to this. And I can imagine Gideon standing there with his 300, gazing upon the 135,000. I can see his faith beginning to, to teeter, right? Like he, he was solid at first, right? And once he finally bought in, got my, got my 32,000. All right, I got my 10,000. Oh, dang, I got 300? So the Lord recognizes this, and he's like, all right, look here, look here, Gideon. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Because the, the God we serve, he also recognizes our insecurities, right? He knows when he needs to kind of re-encourage us to, to remind us that he's still there. So he tells Gideon, if you're afraid still, I want you to go down to the camp, the Midianite camp. You can go by yourself, but if you're really afraid, go ahead and take, take somebody with you. And I want you to just listen. That's it. As the story goes, Gideon goes down there, and the one tent he stumbles across happens to be this tent with a couple guys, a couple soldiers in there talking. And one dude is like, yo, man, I just had a dream. He's like, yeah, what's up? Man, I just had this dream. 
of one of them Olive Garden breadsticks, one of them big old, them big old uh, red lobster cheddar bay biscuits, but it was like king size, right? You know, one of them Popeye's biscuits. That thing was huge, and it was rolling down the hill, and then it, it came across our tent, and it flattened it. And the guy, he was telling the dream to, says, say, what? Oh, that can only mean one thing. The Lord has given us into the hand of Gideon. <clears throat> and as I look at as I read this scripture, I'm like, hold on, man. How in the world did you get that from this? Like, to me, if somebody tells me a dream about a big old thing of biscuits, I'm like, yo, he, he must be on keto, right? He out here feeding for some carbs. <laughs> but but here's, here's why. The Lord had already gone before Gideon. It didn't make any sense to Gideon. Like, all right, I got 300 that gets 135,000. You tell him to go down and listen. All right, I'm going to go listen. But I don't get any of this. None of this stuff makes sense. How am I going to win this battle by going down there and listening to a couple guys talk? <laughs> but the Lord knew what Gideon needed. He knew Gideon needed to be encouraged, to be reminded, I'm still with you. And the Lord had already gone before Gideon to put the fear of himself and of God's people into the hearts of the Midianites. So much so that a dude dreaming about bread saw that as a sign that the Lord had already given them into the hands of, of, of the Israelites. As the story continues and concludes, and we'll end it there, yeah, ultimately, Gideon and his 300 men, they win the battle. I'll let you read the, read the story and figure, you know, see the, uh, uh, the battle plan. But I, I can tell you this, when he left the tent, he came back more emboldened than ever. All of a sudden, he was giving out orders with a new firmness, with a new boldness in his voice. You, you can almost hear it in his voice as you're reading the scripture. How all of a sudden, it was like the, the power of the Lord was within him that allowed him to lead 300 people with no swords and def defeat 135,000 Midianites. None of these things make any sense to us. Like, this is not a battle plan that you go take to the Pentagon, you know, or you send over to Ukraine as they're dealing with Russia right now. Yo, yo, uh, you know, Ukraine, here's the battle plan. Here's what y'all going to do. Don't worry about tanks and airplanes. It doesn't make sense. But all we need to know through the story of Gideon, through the story of Moses, through the story of Abraham, and time after time again is even if we don't get it, God's God, but more importantly, you don't have to understand God's plan. You don't have to get his plan. We simply need to get him. And when you can understand and know the God that we serve and know the measure of love that he has for you, that's the thing that allows you, even without understanding his plan, trusting that he's still there with you. There's a story uh, this Danish philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard tells. It's a prince and a prince and the maiden. It's the prince and his father, the king, are riding through his village, and the prince sees this beautiful young maiden in the, in the village, and the prince is like, "Yeah, father, that's the one. That's the one. I gotta have her. She, I want her to be my wife." Father's like, "All right, cool. Well, a couple things you could do, right? I mean, you royalty, bro. So like, you can go ahead and just." issue a royal decree saying that she has to be your wife and she'll absolutely do it. She has no choice in the matter. But you just won't know if she loves you. Well, other thing you can do, of course, is, look, man, you could just come in there, right? 
come with your chariots, your soldiers, your servants, your royal clothes, right? Just have like, you know, her hand and that much. You could overwhelm her with your majesty. And then she'll become your wife. But you wouldn't know if she became your wife because she loved you for all the stuff. Son's like, well, I don't like either one of those, Pops. Like, you know, what else is there? So the father's like, well, here's the last thing. You can give it all up. You can leave the palace, leave the servants, leave the, uh, the soldiers, the, the guards. You can leave all the riches and the, 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 all the perks that come along with being royalty. You can, you can renounce your title, give up the crown, and then just move into the village. Move into the village and work with her people. Live with her people. Dance with her people. Cry with her people. Bleed with her people. And then, and only then, if she becomes your wife, you know she did it because she loved you. And when I say you don't need to understand God's plans, you just need to know him. This is precisely what he did for us. The Bible tells us he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that yet while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Understand what Jesus did. Jesus is that prince. He was sitting in heaven already, you know, being worshiped and praised by all the angels, had all the, the majesty of, of, of being God, and he left it all. And he came down to earth, took on the form of flesh. He didn't come here with pomp and circumstance. He wasn't born to a king on earth. He was born, in, I mean, in a trough. He was in a manger. And then he allowed his creation to abuse him, to scorn him, to, to ridicule him, to mock him. So not only did he live with us and dance with us and sing with us and cry with us, but he bled for us and ultimately he died for us. This is the God we serve. So even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if we don't get it, we can trust and bank that God's got it. So will you trust him? Romans 10 and 9 tells us, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never made that decision for yourselves and your lives, I would encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this uh, the story of Gideon and the Israelites. And it's a reminder, Lord, that these patterns that we've lived in of disobedience and facing the consequences of, this, of that disobedience and crying back out and you delivering us. We've taken that for granted. Lord, help us to live a life moving forward that, that recognizes the, the extent to which you'd go because of your love for us. Love that we're not deserving of, love that we can never earn, love we're not, that we're not worthy of, but love that you've freely given to us. And in recognition of your love, Lord, help us to live a life that doesn't repeat these patterns, but seeks only to please you every day for the rest of our lives. There's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord. Allow them in this particular moment to, to recognize that even if they don't understand your plans, they can trust you. And allow them to trust you with the rest of their lives. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing day.